Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We are still in the throne room of God. In chapter 4, it highlights to us the God of creation. The one, he says, who is worthy of all glory and power and honor. It seems like it's just another wonderful day in heaven, doesn't it? Worship is going on. God's world seems to be unhindered by the chaos that is happening here on our earth. And then we come into chapter 5. And we learn that the creator of all is concerned about his creation here on earth. It helps to make sense of the judgment scenes that are about to be unveiled in these next several chapters. He begins by saying in chapter, one, chap, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Scrolls were typically written on one side. But we see that this scroll is written on the front and the back. Last time we see a scroll like that is found in the book of Ezekiel. It's a scroll of judgment. It's a scroll with the words of lament and mourning and woe. Legal documents were sealed. And what they would do is they would take this hot wax and they would, they would put it on the outside and then they were required to have six witnesses. And they would take their signet rings, typically, and they would press down on it, which there would be one of a kind, and it would show that this has not been tampered with until it is finally opened publicly. But here in Revelation, we see that there is a scroll, and it has seven seals. Seven in Revelation is it's a word of perfection and completeness. In this seal, in this scroll, it contains God's plan to bring history as we know it to an appointed end and to bring forth the new heaven and the new earth that we will see at the end of this book. It is the plan to take back, it's the word redeem, God's world. To deliver his people from his enemies. The seals are located all throughout the book or throughout the scroll so that as one scroll is open, it reveals another section. It reveals more of what is going to happen in our world. And so in verse 2, it says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy? To open the scroll and to break the seals. Worthy is a key word in this text, as it was in the last. Who is worthy to walk into the throne room of heaven and to take the, the, the scroll out of the hand of the one who sits on the throne? Who is holy enough that they can walk before the throne of God. Who is equal 
to the God of Revelation chapter 4, which is why chapter 4 is very important before we get into chapter 5. And then we read this. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No angelic being. Not one of the four living creatures we saw last week. Not even the crown-wearing 24 elders who sit on thrones were worthy. And John's response is humbling. He says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He's not weeping because he's not going to be able to know what the, what the future says. He's not upset because he doesn't know the timing in which Jesus is going to come back. Folks, it's much deeper than that. If this scroll is not opened, it means that evil wins. It means that the, the Christians and all the suffering that they went through, it was for nothing. There is no justice, no redemption, no new creation. It's, it's like an action movie where, you know, time is running out and, and it looks like evil is going to be victorious. You know what I'm talking about? Except this isn't a movie. And John understood the moment. And had we been standing with John at that time, we would have been weeping too. But then verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, which shows strength, and seven eyes, which shows knowledge, all knowledge, which are the seven spirits of God, that is the Holy Spirit, sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. Folks, this symbolism here, it is steeped in Scripture. It is steeped in Scripture. And it is to point to us the subject that he's speaking to. Otherwise, for us to, to read this and to have an artist to, to paint it, it's just going to come out weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems contradictory. He says, listen, there's a conquering lion. Stop weeping. And he turns around and he sees a slaughtered lamb. What in the world? Folks, all the way in Genesis we learn about Judah and the tribe. It is the lion's cub. It is the lion is representative of strength and royalty the messiah was to be the conquering messiah he is the root of david that has triumphed just as prophesied by isaiah 
He will take the throne of David and he will restore righteous rule. But then there's this lamb. It's pictured as slaughtered. It's a contrast. But it's also messianic prophecy that comes again right out of Isaiah. Christ the lamb through his sacrifice. He can save us from the terrible events that are revealed in this world. In this scroll. As John saw Jesus, he says, behold the lamb of God. He's the one who takes away sins. The Paschal Lamb was the one that was, was slaughtered on Passover to atone for the sins of the people. But Jesus became the last and the final Lamb. The Passover Lamb that was sacrificed to save us. He stood in the place of sinners and he defeated he conquered the forces of evil, but he did not conquer them by force. He conquered them by death. Plagues are going to fall in this scroll. But just as the blood of the Passover lamb delivered Israel from the plague of death, the one that finally delivered Israel from its slavery, so Jesus' blood will protect his people during the judgment of humanity. Folks, this is a new exodus. The slaughtered lamb does not imply weakness. Because I don't know if you caught the, the analogy or not, but he tells us that the lamb that is slaughtered is standing. He's resurrected. He is heaven's answer to earth's dire needs, and he's the one who takes the scroll. And it's just, at this point, it's very important that we understand that we see the world as it is and not as it should be. God's original creation was tarnished by sin. The fall brought about suffering and decay and evil in our world. The Lamb has come to reverse the curse. And you're going to see that theme as we continue on through the book of Revelation. All the way to its ending. And then he says in verse 8. He says, and when he had taken the scroll. Man, it all explodes, right? The four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worship breaks out. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, they bow before him. They've got a harp, and, and they have these golden bowls of incense. And I don't know if you caught this or not, but inside the bowls that they carry are the prayers of the saints. Prayers that are inviting the plagues that are going to be released in this book that is to vindicate them. 
There is joy because God's purposes will be fulfilled. It means that opening the scroll that God wins, heaven breaks out in a new song in order to celebrate the deliverance of the saints by the blood of the Lamb. Believers from all over, people, tribe, language, and nation, they gather. Folks, did you know chapter 5 of Revelation is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7? Oh, I wish we had time to just unpack Daniel chapter 7 and all the richness that is there. But one thing that Daniel is teaching us about what is happening here is this is a coronation. Jesus is being crowned. He has inherited an eternal kingdom. In Revelation chapter 4, a song is being sung to Yahweh by the four living creatures. And it says they do this day and night. And now all of a sudden we come to chapter 5 and they shift. And they begin to give praise and adoration to the Lamb. Who could possibly shift this praise to, to the God of creation on the throne of chapter 4 unless it is someone who is equal? The new song answers the question, who is worthy? The lamb is worthy because his power is not like Caesar's. It is manifested in his willingness to give everything he has for those that he loves. He is not a king who oppresses his subjects. His throne is not a political movement that is driven by the agendas of man. It is a political, a, a prophetic movement that is driven by the cross. We hear a lot about Christian nationalism in our world thinking that somehow it's possible for a nation of the earth. Revelation will tell you that isn't possible. In fact, Christ does not share his throne with the highest thrones of the land. They are not worthy Nations rise and they fall. There are nations that do good, but ultimately we know they're capable of evil and they do things that are wrong. They don't always rule with justice and mercy. There is spiritual warfare that happens within the nations of the world. Read Daniel. Read Daniel and you'll see and hear more about this unseen world. In a few weeks and starting in February, I'm going to do a class and we're going to start talking about these creatures. But despite the chaos, what Revelation 5, 4 and 5 tell us is that God is on his throne. No matter what happens in our world, he's on his throne. And he rules by himself. You know, in the 20th century, communist leaders declared that by the 21st century, 
that there would not be one Christian who is still alive. In the 1930s, the Nazis uh, officials declared the Third Reich would outlast the Christian faith. In the 1960s, the Beatles stated, in light of their Yankee Stadium concert, that by the 21st century, they would receive more praise and adoration than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here we are in the 21st century, 2023, and Stalin is in his grave. And Hitler is dead. Some of the Beatles are gone, but they're just a memory. But the saints of God are still alive and well. And it's not just in what we think of as Christian nations. In fact, do you know that the fastest uh, Christianity is growing the fastest in nations where Christianity is outlawed? Because this is a different kind of kingdom than the kingdoms we try to set up on the world. He goes on in verse 11 and he says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing what's the loudest event that you've ever been to think about that I sat and thought about it and I think it was in the early 90s, Alabama was playing uh, Miami, and it would be for a national championship. The Superdome was packed out mostly of Alabama fans, and every time we scored, any time anything big happened, that place just erupted. I'm a loud guy, and I couldn't hear myself screaming hate to even use this one last year or this year whatever you want to call it football year Tennessee beats Alabama they have the the loudest recorded uh, crowd ever at it was came out at 124.4 decibels if you understand what that is and the loudest stadium Allison, you're going to like this one. It was back in 2014 by the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium, 142.2 decibels. And man, when you are in a crowd like this and it gets going, your emotions, man, it is off the charts. These stadiums host about 75,000, 100,000 people. But here in Revelation, myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. You're probably like me. It's like, what's a myriad? It means innumerable. Unable to count. Ear-shattering worship, I imagine. 
It's no wonder we're going to have to have glorified bodies. But we're not finished because more begin to join in. Look at verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The vision concludes in this worship of the Lamb and now also Yahweh who sits on the throne. Folks, we learn a lot about worship in these two chapters. Some things that maybe we even have some misunderstandings at times. For example, one is that worship is celebratory, not solemn. Now, there may be solemn moments. We understand that. And we understand that celebratory can get to a point that's distracting to everybody else. But I'm talking about we are celebrating as a body of people. And we bring our hearts and our emotions and everything into our worship to God. Should be loud. also learn that worship is declaring to God how majestic he is and how great his works are. We saw it last week. We see it here again. You say, you know, what is worship? Listen, if you have not acknowledged who God is and what he's done or what he promises to do, we haven't worshiped. This is very important. We do this every week and not just every week. Because I learned that heaven is adoring and cherishing God as the center of life and worship. Worship is not one hour a week, as David's already pointed out. We are so filled with the Lamb of God, with the Spirit of God, and the one who sits on the throne, that our life becomes a living sacrifice in all we say and do. You know, the more we point people directly to who God is, the more likely we will instill confidence in the midst of their daily turmoil. The picture of God's throne that we're seeing in these last two chapters is of absolute stability. Despite the anti-Christian government or the immoral gender, uh, uh, agendas of parties or evil that is happening or the things that people say about Christians, God is on his throne and he has a plan. And he is going to work all things for our good and to his glory. Who is worthy? The Lamb. The one who fought our battle and broke the chains of slavery that Satan had bound, bound us with, freeing us by his very blood. Paul tells us something really important. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. 
The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. We're going to get to the end of this, this book, and we're going to see, he talks about this new heaven and new earth. He is preparing us now, making us into these new creations for what will ultimately be revealed. And we learn that those who are baptized believers, they have been made new in Christ. Our old sinful nature, it dies, but like the slaughtered lamb... We are standing, resurrected to walk in a new way of life. I want us to join in the heavenly chorus this morning. I want to sing about the one who is worthy. Who is worthy? David, why don't you come on up and let's sing this song that we've sung a few, several times, but it comes right out of the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation 5. David. Yeah, let's, let's stand for the song. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Who conquered the grave? 
He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of this? He is. Is He worthy? Is He worthy? In 1942, there was a masterpiece that was painted by Jan von Eyck. It's massive. It's several panels. It's painted on the front and back. It has hinges that close. It's 12 feet high, 18 feet wide. And it has also been stolen numerous times. It's known as the Adoration of the Lamb, and it's because of this bottom central piece that we're going to talk about in just a moment. It was stolen by, during the Napoleonic era. It would later be stolen in World War I. And then Hitler stole it in World War II because he believed it had some kind of supernatural powers and a, some kind of coded map to these Roman Catholicism's lost treasures. But thanks to the effort, some of you know, to the monuments men, it was recovered before it was destroyed at the end of the war, and it would have been a tragedy because this is a masterpiece. This bottom panel is a depiction of the book of Revelation, and specifically Revelation chapter 5. Here we see the lamb on an altar. You may not can see it very well, but there's blood flowing from this slaughtered lamb into a golden chalice. But the lamb is standing. He's alive. Above we see the Spirit of God descending. And here we have a fountain that he depicts as living water that is bursting forth. And these angelic beings, they have come along with those of the four corners of the earth in order to give praise and adoration to the lamb. In the back is the New Jerusalem that you will finally learn as we finish out this book later. But it is a wonderful depiction of the bread and the cup that we are about to take. It is because the Lamb is worthy that we are able to come together this day and to celebrate our great and wonderful God. The lamb has been slaughtered, but as we partake, may, us, may we not forget that the lamb is, is standing. This is a time of joy 
and celebration. And if you don't believe it, read Revelation 5 again. He's the one who's worthy. He saved us from the plagues of this scroll. Let's pray as we partake together. Father, we come before you this day and we give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you so much, Father, for you sit on the throne and you are the one who is worthy. And Father, we just give you honor and praise in every way that we possibly can. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us, for sending your son to send the lamb, the lion, into our world so that, Father, we could be saved. Father, we just thank you. We thank you. Father, as we now partake of the, the bread and the cup, may we, as your people, may we grow closer to you and one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.